Uh, Byers has made a, a name for itself uh, in, a, in a bit of a different way and, and really going back to the drawing board, if you will, and, and understanding the problem set. Sure, landfills have odors. Uh, sure, composting facilities have odors. We've taken a minute to better understand what is that problem set? What is a, help us better understand qualitatively and quantitatively, what are these emissions? And, and where are they coming from and where are they traveling to? So a bit of a long-winded answer is with, with the help of EnviroSuite and this partnership that we have now, we can really understand not only where these emissions are going, but what are the emissions? And, and to see the changes in emissions based on barometric pressure or based on meteorolo other meteorological data or the primary source is extremely unique. So we have gained a wealth of knowledge in the last 16 months or so. Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders, climate champions, and sustainability professionals who are making an impact in their businesses today. Each leader is solving complex challenges and providing solutions within their respective areas of expertise. And here's our host, Sean Grady. Hello, ET Nation. I'm excited to announce that I've updated my website that provides listeners more access to episode content and information about the podcast. Please take a moment and visit the website and sign up for email notifications and blog postings. Also, check out our sponsors page to see who supports the show. We can't thank these industry leaders enough. Finally, I would really appreciate if you would take a moment and post a review and rate the podcast episodes either from my website or from within your podcast app. This helps the podcast get more exposure on Apple Podcasts and other podcast networks. Also, please send me comments and recommendations on topics that you want to hear about. I hope you enjoy the new website, so check it out at www.seankgrady.com. Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Grady, and today's guests are Josh Rembush and Andres Quijano. Welcome, guys. Josh is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Buyer Scientific, and Andres is the uh, Local Sales and uh, Manager for the Americas for EnviroSuite Software Solutions. Thank you guys for joining the show. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having us. All right. Hey, looking. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, you know, I do a little bit of software work myself, and uh, you know, EnviroSuite is really interesting uh, piece of software. And and for the listeners, I think it might be good for Andreas if you can give the, give them give us a little you know uh, explanation of what EnviroSuite does, what the platform is built on. You know, what kind of problems are you solving with it? And and let's let's dive into this a little bit. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, awesome, Sean. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, as well, for listening today to the podcast. Uh, one of the key things for EnviroSuite has always been, how do we translate data? Because we, we live in this world where everybody wants more data and everybody's got all these sensors. And we talk about the uh, Internet of Things and Internet of Environmental Things came out. And um, we had an excess of data, but we we believe that we have a lack of information. And, and I think that one of the premises where we actually started with was, how do we start to grab this data and translate it into true activities and actions? EnviroSuite started more than 30 years ago from a consulting point of view. And we were doing a lot of consulting work. And um, as some of 
your listeners may know as well, Sean Consultants come up with these brilliant plans that end up becoming just books that sit on a shelf and nobody's implementing because of the lack of uh, tools to be able to bring it all into place. So Varsuit sold the consulting firm and then we decided to go to the world with a global technology business. And all we're doing is grabbing that knowledge that we have from not just monitoring data into actions, but also forecasting modeling, hyper-local weather forecasts, understanding how weather impacts the operations, whether you are a landfill, a wastewater treatment plant, or any kind of operations that is impacted by weather. If it's important for you to know what's actually going to happen with your emissions and what you can do about it, then um, that's kind of the premise where EnviroSuite comes. And, and, and ultimately, with our, our vision, our mission, our goal, which is always to be able to bring communities, regulators, and industry together so that society can thrive. And, and I think for us is, is one of the most important things is responsible operations are always looking for ways to implement plans, but it's all about helping society growth. And with that is the community and, and meeting regulatory compliance as well. So at the, at the end of the day, that's what we do in the, in the technology side, of course, is just how, how do you implement that in such a way that looks so simple? Yes, it's so complex in the background. You have very advanced models, very advanced activity happening and multiple parameters impacting alerts and things. So uh, mainly that's what we do, Sean, at the moment. Well, let, let's dive in a little deeper because, I mean, that's a pretty good overview. But let's talk about, you know, what this application is really doing. I mean, for the, for the listeners, for instance, what target audiences or target industries are you pursuing that are real, really great use cases for this application. Yeah, for sure. Look, at, uh, we've had great success in probably three key areas. Um, at the end of the day, I said earlier, anybody that feels that the weather can impact their operations may be interested on a client of ours, but you could argue, say, well, that's almost anybody, depends how you look at it. So, so we have had very good success on uh, landfills, and the management of landfill uh, orders and engagements with the community. We have quite a good success with water in the wastewater treatment plants as well. And um, I've been on a couple of podcasts on the water side as well, because there's a very, some very interesting advances happening in that space. And mining. Mining is probably the third pillar that we also work significantly with. But I think for the purpose of kind of uh, what we're talking about today, Focusing on the landfills and the wastewater treatment plants has been one of the key areas for us to be able to help moving this forward. And, and I think one of the key aspects is, I don't want to get extremely technical um, if, if it's not the right terminology, but we have grabbed historical models like CalMed, CalPAS, and WRF models that actually give you very good forecasting data and hyper-localize that. And some of our clients like, Wake County in North Carolina is a landfill that we operate with. And we talked there with John Robertson, which is um, the landfill operations manager um, in, in that area. And he is one of the persons that has been a very big advocate of the solution for the last, I'll say, over three, four years. And, um, and what they're actually finding very useful is the ability to respond to communities quickly when they have a concern. Mm -hmm. And they have seen a significant reduction of number of orders reports, not because the community is not um, perceiving the orders necessarily, but it's also because they've actually encouraged now the community to say, please, let us, know, let us know when orders may actually occur, because that's how we get better. And we are going to give you very fast response of we know what's going on, because we have this tool that helps us understand 
were you really impacted by our facility? Was it a neighboring facility? A lot of the times landfill operations and wastewater treatment plants have the difficulty that they sit next to other sources. And of course they get blamed all the time because they are the biggest, because they're most visible, but then you may actually be coming next to, I don't know, a pump station or a transfer station, or maybe it's a manhole cover that is actually having problems. And without any tools that help you understand what's happening with the weather, you, you're just gonna have to take the blame all the time. So I think that that ability to, to understand, is it me? And if it is me, what do we do? And that's where some of the partnerships we had with Bioscientific has been extremely uh, fruitful with our clients because that's that kind of, okay, I know it's me. So what do I do about it? And that we can help and I'll let Josh talk about that later. But is, if it is not me, is hey, let's also understand there's other sources in the area that we need to be able to manage. So that's when regulators can come in and say, okay, well, this is fantastic. Now we know you have controls now, let's put it in place in other areas. But um, that's just to give you a couple of examples of sure. client that we work with, Justin. but I'm happy to dig deeper as needed. I just want to conscious of also the no, time. That, that's really good. I mean, so, so you're looking, so currently you use IoT devices as your monitoring stations you got an equipment that's like, is this your own proprietary equipment that you you license out as part of your service? Uh, how does that work? And, and you could talk a little bit about the devices. It sounds like you're using it for air uh, air quality uh, sampling. You've got odor monitoring, you got noise and vibration. Talk a little bit about that so the people listening can kind of get a sense of the, the spectrum of the types of monitoring you're doing. Yeah, here's, here's an interesting uh, area, Sean. We, when we started, and as I said, we started as a consulting group, we identified that there was a increased number of sensors that were available and coming in the market. I personally come from working very heavily in the sensor manufacturing space. That's where I actually graduated and did my thesis on, and uh, measuring instrumentation on air quality. But what's happening right now is we have indicative measurements coming out, and the EPA came out about a year and a half ago with the EPA guidelines or utilizing you know, indicative measurement sensors and has very good understanding of how does indicative measurements can complement those regulatory monitors because their regular monitors are uh, expensive to run and they're going to be very costly, but they're very precise. But if you can use indicative measurement data to give you awareness of what's happening around your operations, then you may be able to act ahead of time, almost like a a fire detector, basically, just kind of trip alarm and go like, yep, that's what's actually, let's see what's happening. And that's where now trends are becoming more important. So to, to answer your specific question, we then went back and said, okay, do we manufacture sensors or what do we do in terms of gathering this data? And we learned that there's a tremendous amount of inefficiencies created by data silos because hardware manufacturers have created their own platforms that is just, this, you, this is the sensor you use, this is your platform. And this is it. And all of a sudden, persons were like, Oh, if I want to use that sensor and this sensor, and just to mention a couple, like let's say uh, there's, um, let's say you had Med One instrumentation, you want to use Med One, but you also wanted to use some instrumentation from another manufacturer, Teledyne, AcoM, some of the other ones, and then you go, well, now I have to use their platform for this and the other platform for this, and um, so we decided we were going to be sensor agnostic. So we were going to develop technology that was sensor agnostic in terms of we can plug any sensors that you want and you can. If you already have sensors, we can actually bring that data into place. We have ways to do it because we see value in becoming that environmental data hub that all the data starts to come in, including complaint data. So discrete data and continuous monitoring data. But then the next challenge comes, which is that, uh, okay, well, 
people wanted to come with us. They really liked the idea, but I don't have any sensors. So I'll come to you when I get a sensor. And then they didn't realize that we needed to be part of the pack, complete package and solution. So we do offer sensors. We bring sensors onto the table, but we bring sensors in the sense that we can actually suggest indicative sensors. We can suggest other kind of higher end sensors, but we stay agnostic to the manufacturer. And all we're doing is integrating them as part of our solution. And we become more of a system integrator at that point in time. Oh, and okay. I mean, that's, that's really interesting. I, I like that angle there a bit, being agnostic on the sensor. So that way, depending on the type of, uh, you know, uh, media you really want to you, you know monitor and evaluate uh, if there's you know something that's more sensitive or more robust as a as a you know uh, a monitoring device you could use it or something that they already have they don't have to spend another you know ten fifteen thousand dollars on the monitor and they they've got one already that works just fine right yeah um, and the key they, aspect in there is the meteorological data yep sure so I always said invest in a very good weather station and site it properly. Citing the number of times I've seen weather stations sit next to a wall in a building and go like, oh, here's my weather station. Like, well, you're never getting in northerly winds because you've got a wall next to it, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. One of those things, you know, so yeah. invest in a very good weather station and site it properly. Everything else can actually fit into place and, and we, we'll, we'll, we'll support all that. But yeah, where is that sensor agnostic? Today's episode is sponsored by Cascade Environmental. Cascade's Compass Corporate Sustainability Program has been helping consultants balance economic, social, and environmental impacts of remediation on projects since 2014. Achieve your sustainable remediation goals by drawing on Cascade's leading national capacity, technical expertise, and their performance-focused approach to support any stage of your project lifecycle. When looking for a firm that can help you meet your sustainable remediation goals, then look no further than Cascade Environmental. To learn more, go to www.cascade-env.com. That's www.cascade-env.com. As, as part of the weather station, I mean, do you guys monitor like water levels or water or is it just, is, you know, is it just, uh, you know, wind direction? Is it raining? That type of, you know, what, what type of data are you collecting on the weather? Yeah. Humidity, well, we always, temperature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We always, because we do a lot of modeling and we use the CAPAF models, basically, which runs out of the CalMED model engine as well. Uh, we typically look at at least seven uh, specific parameters, which is temperature, humidity, solar radiation is important for cloud cover and temperature inversions, um, parametric pressure, humidity, and range is the six parameters we actually have in there. Now, we do collect range data. The range data depends on the application, can be important. Barometric pressure, if you're at a landfill, doing, seeing those changes of the barometric pressure increasing, decreasing with the landfill pretty much breathing in and out, um, it's actually quite interesting. And if we can forecast that, then we can create forecasted risk reports. But I can tell you hour by hour, what is the risk going to be on your operation in the next 24 hours, for example? Yeah, yeah. and I think for the listeners to understand the relationship between a good weather station and the monitoring devices, you want to know where the odor's going. You got to know where the wind's blowing, right? And you know, So that's key, right? Yeah, absolutely. I tell, I tell my clients sometimes and even people that I talk to, if you stand outside, if you're sitting right now, wherever you are, you walk outside and you're in a car park area and you perceived any odor, good, bad, whatever it is, the only reason you perceive it is because the wind brought it to you. The wind is the channel, how odors travel, okay? Yeah. So you, you need to know 
and, and that's the other element. Sometimes people get very good data for air quality, but if you don't have good weather data, that's, you're only getting half of the picture because you've got no idea to know where this came from. You're just going to go, well, I don't know where it came from. I just know it was high. It's like, yeah. okay, what right. are you going to do with that? And I, and I think that's, that's, that's why I, I always talk about weather data as being probably one of the ones I emphasize the most. And people underestimate what a good weather station probably could cost and a good sighting of a weather station. Sometimes they, they go, oh, well, I get a $200 weather station in Amazon. They're like, yeah, but... That's going to work you for a couple of weeks, and then we don't know about the data. <laughs> <laughs> Not as reliable. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. So you offer you offer those types of uh, you know uh, IoT devices as well as part of the package. Um, <clears throat> so you know when you got you guys are being called out to kind of start monitoring such you know you know an area like you know what happens when the data comes in. You're, you you've uh, you know, and analyzed it. You're starting to understand. Um, okay, we have we've identified the source. We have odors. Now, what do we do? You know, I think this is where maybe you know Josh comes into play to help you. But you know, talk about what your you know what that looks like for you guys when you have that client engagement. Well, we 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 for almost over a year now, year and a bit, have been working with Josh and and, and the team at Buyers because. That was exactly the the challenge that we faced then. It's like, just like I was telling you about sensors, we fixed that one. And then Clyde's like, look, I love your system. You're selling me come motors, but I know my orders are coming from my active phase if you're in a landfill. Like, like I don't need you to tell me where they're coming from. I know where they are. <laughs> and, um, and, and it's interesting because a lot of the times you go like, look, of course, you know your landfill better than me. What do I know? I just came in and I know you for a week. I don't pretend I know your landfill better than I do or your water treatment plant. But um, what's interesting is once you start sensor, putting sensor data, you may come up with some surprises. So things like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was actually happening. Then let's go and investigate. And, and Josh and I have had opportunities with clients where we work together, where we've gone, the client's gone like, I can guarantee you I know where it is. And we put it in there. And of course, we see the orders coming from that area. But you go like, hey, do you realize that when you were having winds in the opposite direction, you also have some high concentration readings? And what about what's in there? I was like, oh, yeah, we forgot we were digging a pond down there and we're doing that this day. I was like, oh, there you go. If you had known that was the condition, maybe you could have planned about it. Or maybe there's an external source you didn't know. Um, the, the EPA has done a project with us. Uh, in the past, Dr. Eben Thomas from the EPA did a project on a rubber tank where they identified an unknown source just by running a number of trajectories. So you're saying, what does happen with the data? We get this data in here. We run reverse trajectories that helps you understand at every five-minute interval, where is the wind coming from and what's happening? Um, because um, a clear example is a couple of years ago, one of our landfills here in California was like, oh, weekend before Thanksgiving, massive amount of orders happening. All of a sudden, communities into social media, uh, all the community pages are going crazy about the orders and it's got to be the landfill, it's got to be the landfill. And then they run a trajectory of our system, and it tells them that 30 minutes before they were perceived the orders, the wind has shifted right from the west. And they were like, look, it's not us. We're not doing anything different. They go to the west and have a look. There's a farm in there. They had just received a tremendous amount of uh, fertilizer manure and was being delivered in that place. And that had come just from the west. However, if you had sit in here and just look, where is the wind coming from? At the time of the complaints, the wind was coming from the landfill. But what I didn't know is that 15 minutes before, the wind had shifted and it came across from that area. So it's that understanding. But to come back to your thing, okay, when I know it's me, what do I do? 
And, and I think that's where for us is this, after tremendous amount of work trying to understand what other landfills were doing is working with SEMA buyers and actually putting mitigations in place that work at the active phase or that work in the source has been the most effective. And, um, and I don't want to kind of talk about the George cycle, so he understands it better than me and I probably won't give it a good uh, service on it. But I, I think, Sean, to, to, to get to the point where you're saying, once you know you are part of the contributor towards the actual orders or towards what's actually happening, the next step is, okay, what mitigations do you have in place? And there are a number of things you can put. Uh, you can put some covers. You can put. You can cover completely tanks if it's like a water treatment plant. But um, but there are times where there are things that are just much harder to manage. And and I think what the team in buyers comes into place and it's been, it's been tremendous. We've seen the data coming where we like when the system is running and not running, and you see the reduction in the orders. Like we have seen the data happening. So that that's very encouraging and very interesting for us for sure well i mean so josh here let me bring you in on this let's talk a little bit about you know they've got mitigation needs you know mm -hmm. the client says hey I, okay i'm the source uh andreas is like hey now i've got i'm going to recommend somebody like a buyer scientific to come in talk about what buyers is doing for sure. clients with this scenario and the technology you have to really solve these problems yeah, thanks a lot, Sean. And let me maybe set the table first. Bioscientific is a really unique firm that really is focused on custom engineered solutions for indoor air quality for both commercial and industrial facilities, as well as mitigating odor in ambient air sources. Uh, landfills are a, a primary example of that. Um, we do have several different divisions. Uh, the first I'll speak about is the mitigation technology division. This allows us to really design and deploy different types of equipment with the ability to mitigate odor. That said, I should, I should really take a minute to talk about, uh, Byers has made a, a name for itself uh, in, a, in a bit of a different way and, and really going back to the drawing board, if you will, and, and understanding the problem set. Sure, landfills have odors. Uh, sure, composting facilities have odors. We've taken a minute to better understand what is that problem set? What is a, help us better understand qualitatively and quantitatively, what are these emissions and, and where are they coming from and where are they traveling to? So a bit of a long-winded answer is with, with the help of EnviroSuite and this partnership that we have now, we can really understand not only where these emissions are going, but what are the emissions? And, and to see the changes in emissions based on barometric pressure, or based on meteorolo other meteorological data or the primary source is extremely unique. So we have gained a wealth of knowledge in the last 16 months or so, really understanding, for example, uh, what happens on a working face when it's covered uh, at nighttime versus during the day, and or what are some emission sources from leachate ponds, landfill gas collection systems, so on and so forth. So, We've taken a, a unique approach in saying, let's, let's, let's hit the pause button. Let's really understand and diagnose the problem by way, again, of the type of compounds and the concentration of compounds to then address the problem. To answer the question you've asked here, uh, landfills are, are uh, a primary source and target for us uh, because of the ongoing emissions that come from the working face. Uh, we see, for the most part, whether it's a, a privately owned and operated landfill or a publicly owned, privately operated, or publicly owned, publicly operated, where for the most part, um, solid waste folks are, are getting it right, I will say. 
And that means that they're, they're doing the right things in managing leachate correctly. They're doing the right things in, in, in managing landfill gas uh, 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 emissions coming from these sources, either collecting them yep. and flaring them or collecting them and making a fuel. And so what we've seen over the last couple of years is the primary emission source is really at that work face. And now we've got incredible data to show when that team uncovers or unpeels the cover in the morning, you can begin to see that uh, work face really come to life by way yeah. of analysis and data collection. Uh, more specifically, we've seen where it can be very difficult to use water. Water historically has been a, a primary vehicle to try to mitigate odor. Uh, misting systems have historically been a really common approach at the fence line or even as the trash is being dumped. Uh, water um, in some areas is expensive, but it takes a lot of labor to move the water around. And so what Mark Byers designed and patented was a vapor phase approach where we are effectively taking a liquid neutralizer through a patented process and we're delivering it in a vapor or dry state. More specifically for this work face application, anybody in the solid waste industry knows that it's a moving target, no pun intended. As the cells grow, change, and shift, and, and, um, and as the lifts change and shift, uh, this is a moving uh, living organism, if you will. And so we designed what we refer to as our HP223M, and that is a mobile system that allows us to deploy as that uh, working face area changes and grows to then deploy a, a dry vapor product um, with proven efficacy to mitigate, not mask, but to truly mitigate those odors. One thing that I'll say is there is no silver bullet here. Uh, mitigating odor from a large open air space on a landfill uh, is probably hard to do. It's, it's nearly impossible to get 100% efficacy. So what we look at is, is a, a game of angles, if you will, understanding hyper-localized meteorological data, understanding where those emissions are going now and where they're going to be forecasted to go, again, with EnviroSuite's uh, ability to tell us that and forecast that, and then place the unit accordingly so that we're uh, upwind and downwind so that we get multiple passes through that vapor phase system. This episode is sponsored by Bayer Scientific, providing an ecosystem of emission and odor mitigation solutions to help you operate efficiently, scale smoothly, and achieve compliance. At Bayer Scientific, they're using data-driven research and the highest industry standards to design, develop, and manufacture custom compliance solutions. If you need compliance solutions that make sense for your industry and operations, check them out at www.buyers-scientific.com. So when you do that and you're and you're putting out your your mitigation systems out there, I mean, is it just one is like a mobile unit or these permanent units, uh, Josh? I mean, how does this work in, in real time here? Yeah. So our newest innovation uh, historically, we were uh, we were looking at um, uh, doing permanent systems along a fence line, if you will. And what we realized was is that true odor mitigation is predicated on contact. Uh, whether it's buyer scientific or ABC odor control, we know now uh, that these malodor compounds must be mitigated. And it's done generally by way of two different approaches. One is adsorption, and that is the reaction that we rely on. The other is oxidation. Those are the two most common ways to mitigate odor. And so to your point, uh, what we like to do is we deploy a six-inch lay-flat hose that's movable. So it allows us to create a, almost a V formation 
around that work face so that we have one leg upwind, if you will, another one downwind. So as that air uh, is traveling over that work face, it allows that vapor to be passed over the work face. Again, that mixing uh, area is really critical to get that contact. And then again, we get a, another pass through the vapor as that air is passing by the work face and then potentially uh, downwind onto a potential community. So what about Josh doing it more targeted at, you know, an actual source release point, you know, where maybe it's a stack, you know, maybe it's an emission stack. Sure. I mean, like to me, you don't need to go very far. You've got, you've got the ex exact emission point, the outfall or whatever right there. Yeah. Have you had success deploying your odor mitigation systems at those types of scenarios instead of a, you know, a large landfill? That's a yeah. large area. Yeah, Sean, thanks for asking. Um, uh, those challenges are, are a much easier lift, I'll say. Uh, we can understand several things about it, not only going back to the analysis piece, which, by the way, we do have an entire division dedicated to that known as buyer's emissions analysis. We have uh, two uh, active uh, PhDs on staff. They are teaching professors, uh, and they have really given us a significant advantage in not only understanding analysis required, to diagnose uh, air quality issues, again, by way of uh, compound and concentration. But furthermore, it also allows us to really uh, understand those potential sources. Airflow, for example, Sean, you missed an, an emission stack. So at that point, we can understand temperature considerations. We can understand uh, uh, volume of air, CFM. We can understand the speed of the air by way of face velocity. And then we can understand, okay, what are these compounds and what are we looking to mitigate and what sort of dosing is going to be required? In some applications, uh, Sean, we refer to and, and use what's, what's known as atomization or a fracturing of a water droplet into a very, very tiny droplet, generally 3 to 18 microns in size. Uh, and this allows us to use water as a vehicle in a, in a forced air application uh, where vapor may not be nearly as... as, um, as uh, um, uh, significant of an impact. Um, further to your point, for indoor applications, transfer stations uh, are a great example where dust and odor have been a problem for years and years in transfer stations. And certainly um, there are some approaches now where misting will help kind of drop that dust to the bottom. What we've looked at with our molecular filtration technology, a whole other subset of our business allows us to really address indoor air quality, both commercial and industrial grade, to really attack uh, significant dust and uh, odor issues that are, uh, are indoors or inside of a facility, uh, you know, that, that may be um, uh, solid waste uh, and or um, other different applications that, that have various types of odor. So here's one that comes to mind, just kind of thinking out loud here, guys. I mean, a hog farm, a confined feeding operation. Have you guys deployed your solution on something like that? Because those types of facilities drive neighbors crazy. Quite a hot topic, Sean. And, and, and I'll, let, um, I'll let Andre speak on that first, and then I'm happy to comment. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. I, was, um, my, I think I must have bubbles coming out with science out of my head when you were saying that, Sean, because uh, uh, we, we were with actually one of the biggest agro-manufacturing uh, companies down in South America, in Chile, AgroSuper and SoproVal. And they have turkeys and they have hogs, basically. That's that's what they do, some of the major things they do. And what's interesting on that is that the controls part is extremely challenging. I mean, they have 
it's an interesting part because I think uh, bioscientific, not only is the mitigation system Josh has been talking about, but it's also even filtration systems like they've used in, in other industries. And what these guys do is they grab these massive um, areas where all the hogs are and they enclose them and they become very large enclosed areas, but they put air filtration systems throughout. But one of the things that you're always going to see odors coming out of those. And what's interesting for me that I've learned over the years working with them is that the order will change depends on the age of the animals as well. So you're going to start putting controls in place that are going to be based on your operation. And we, what we do on working with their operation, their team down there, is we give them modeling of saying, oh, if the, I don't know, let's say we have uh, 200, 300 hogs in this area and they are of age X, then what is the emissions? And the emission rate changes and we can produce models that tell you where is the emission going and what communities are gonna be impacting based on the age of the animals. Uh, but it's certainly a very big challenge. I think that at least what I've seen so far has been a lot more enclosing the areas and putting filtration systems in place. And what we can actually do is based on weather data, help them understand airflow through those systems, how to increase it, decrease the temperature and a bunch of different controls around those. But um, that, that's on our side, we certainly, but it's a big challenge. I mean, all the controls I've seen in place, you still get you still get those orders coming through, and it's it's a big challenge for sure. Josh, yeah, so, you helping out there? Yeah. Well, um, yes and no. Quite the hot topic. And what we see right now is is that, um, generally speaking, each state is covered uh, um, under agricultural farming protection. In other words these odors that are coming from these facilities, at least right now in most CAFO operations, they're not required to mitigate them. And so although the communities are beginning to push back a little bit, in fact, there was um, talk about legislation for the state of North Carolina just last week about CAFO operations and potentially looking to protect these communities from these odors. But right now, as we understand it, most of these big operators are not willing to spend the money because it's not required. And so, um, whether it becomes an environmental justice type situation uh, and or a legislative consideration. Right now, we are not active on any of those facilities, um, but we do expect that to change over time here. You got to imagine like the big corporate farmers, the big corporate, you know, uh, producers of, you know, turkeys, chickens. You can, you can go down the list that, you know, the big corporate names out there, you know, and, and, you know, those guys are probably thinking they should probably put in, mitigation or you know some monitoring you know systems so they can you know keep the the locals happy what mm. one would think um you know it's it's big business and i think as uh environmental justice initiatives continue to push forward and communities uh rally around each other um yeah. I, I think you'll see more action in the future yeah, what you're seeing, Sean, I think my experience has been that you're seeing the tailwind the tailwinds of the things like ESG and all the corporate driving elements of those. And, and I think corporations, it is very interesting because they always seen environmental teams as a cost center and all the sudden it's actually driving investment. So that's certainly starting to create, oh, wait a minute. If I demonstrate ESG, then I'm going to be able to drive better investment, more money into the business. Then um, I was talking with a guy that works now for um, IBM and they are doing very big business in banking on risk assessments. So what's the risk of your business if you're really not engaging with the community proactively, if you're not doing these things? So I agree with Josh. I think you're going to see a lot more. Uh, interestingly, now we're talking about earlier about public sector, private sector. We've seen a lot more 
proactiveness happening at times from that public sector that truly kind of wants to engage with that community, yeah. while the private sector is being kind of like, well, I'm gonna do it's 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 a lot more about a PNL as well as that operational, but the PNL is driving everything. So now that ESG is coming and playing a role, and it's existed in many shapes and forms in the past, but I feel that we're seeing a very significant push towards environmental and social governance, and um, and that that's gonna that's gonna continue. I think that's gonna continue to drive. And we, we're certainly not an ESG reporting platform, but what I think is we can fit a lot of the real data that impacts those sustainability reports that can actually help some driving some of it. So. Um, I agree. We're going to see probably big changes happening as we keep going this path. But uh, but I think it's just taking that extra shift on mentality. It's not just a cost. Now it's actually driving investment into the businesses. Did you know E-Tank is the only environmental rental equipment company in the industry that offers a 100% certified clean guarantee at no additional cost? Well, this gives customers the peace of mind knowing that container contents from the previous renter isn't going to cross-contaminate the contents of the current customer and potentially cause liability concerns. You know, E-Tank also provides a one-of-a-kind complete maintenance program for all its rental items, including liquid-tight roll-off containers, fluid transfer pumps, and filtration system components. To learn more about the types of containers and pumps E-Tank supplies, check out their website at www.etank.net. So the next time you are faced with an environmentally challenging project, give E-Tank a call to help solve your problem. It's just that easy. Wastewater treatment plants, another point source location that's, I would think, a lot easier to control than the, the face of a, of a landfill. Uh, what's your guys' take on that? Are you are you doing any work in, in the wastewater area? Yeah, we, we, we certainly are. And, and I agree with you. One of the interesting parts is that we come into place and we're always it's we're always a, a trade-off of capital investment on, on pretty much civil engineering infrastructure change, or do we just control it and manage it kind of thing? Because one thing is like let's say you have a bunch of aeration tanks, do you completely cover your aeration tanks and then all of a sudden you don't have an odor? Or do we just manage it because we're far away from the community, but we're not proactively still being on top of what's happening and turn on and off controls as needed, but don't invest the millions of dollars that probably will take on an engineering job to, to do that. And um, and, and then, or, or is that someone in between? Like we we're, wait, we're working on some very large projects right now with water treatment plants where what they're doing is they're implementing auto mitigations, but it's that, is that situational awareness that now becomes important to them? Is that element of, how do I know that things are actually working as expected? How do I know things that are probably starting not to work as well? Mm-hmm. And then, um, and I think that that's where we start to play a role, which is which is fantastic because one of the things is nothing better for me than to be able to demonstrate to a client that what they've invested in is actually helping. <laughs> so yeah, otherwise, right. it's like, okay, you invested in all of this, now it's helping, but create a baseline so that when it starts to change because things wear and tear and changes happen in, and a lot of these solutions are very best box solutions. Like every every plant is somehow the same, but somehow very unique in the way they actually operate and run. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, I think that that's where we probably have added more value. And um and also on the last project that I had on a water treatment plant just recently, what those guys were saying is we have X number of million dollars to invest in a project, but we have to choose. So is that prioritization? Where do I go? And with modeling data, you're able to say, well, 
80%, because of your meteorological conditions, 80% of the orders that are impacting the community are coming from this tank over here, for example, yeah. or from this clarifier section. So yes, your aeration tank may be the biggest, but because of where you are with your meteorological data, that may not be the one is impacting the community the most. You're better off covering the other source. So understanding that becomes very important and critical as well. So when you guys go out to do a deployment, I mean, what's the assessment like? I mean, how many you know sensors do you really need to get a good feel for, you know, the wind direction, the odors, the the air quality? I mean, are we talking? I mean, I'm assuming it's more than one. Uh, you know, so so what you know what? How many does it take really to do a good job? Yeah, that's a. That, I get that question all the time, Sean, and and I wish I had a. Uh, a bulletproof answer of this is what it is, but I'm going to make my best effort for, for the audience to answer it. That the first thing is to understand your meteorological conditions. Why? Because if you have very calm conditions, you're going to need more sensors because air is just going to dissipate and go everywhere, and you're just having points in a map, basically. Mm -hmm. If you have a strong wind conditions happening, and you know that these predominant winds are always never changing, you can actually reduce the number of sensors. But more than the actual having a discrete number said, oh, every X number of miles you should have a sensor, I think it's more about understanding your upwind, downwind conditions and your wind patterns throughout the year and your seasonality. Sometimes people say, oh, my predominant winds are coming from the north. And it's like, yes, but on that springtime when the kind of winds are, that's when you have winds coming in a different direction. And you probably didn't know that because it's one season of the year, but that's the one you get the most complaints because it's going towards the community. So it's kind of understanding those patterns first. So to, you know, to your point, one of the first things we do is we'll try to understand, do we have access to it before you become a client, even on Embarrassment? Do you have any weather data? And if you don't, can we get hold of any publicly available weather data like airports or I mean, weather underground and a bunch of different applications where you can go and get it? And we do a preliminary analysis of what the meteorological conditions to understand how many sensors you're going to deploy. Um, as a bare minimum, I'd like to start with an upwind, downwind type scenario or can this cover all east, northwest and, and, and so on. So four sensors and a good meteorological station. But more and more our clients, when once they see that, they go, oh, I want to put one in the community. So they want out of the sensitive receptor area. Okay, fine. Then we'll just now go there. And then you start building these rings of defense, that I like to call them. So you got from inside, as much as you can, you start to build outer rings. And the outer rings allows you to then understand really what's going yeah. on with orders. And then you complement that with modeling. And, and that there you go. You get, you get a much better picture of the complete solution and how long do you need to run these systems to really get a good feel for day-to-day -day operations like this is what you're going to typically find and this is where we should you know put our mitigation system for you know long-term deployment yeah we we are normally up and running i mean relatively quickly and right now i mean supply chain has always been a bit of a challenge since kind of covid everybody's recovering but once we get our sensors setting our platform it's a matter of Two, three weeks basically you're up and running and you're able to start accessing some of this data however what we actually then do is we then work with with the team and josh has even been very helpful with some of the clients we already have as well that have got the joint combined solution to say let's have a quarterly meeting where we do an analysis and start putting hypotheses in place so i'll say you get value from day one because you already got data sensors you already get alarms you already got alerts so within two three weeks you day one to start getting that but the inside true knowledge over time that you start to build, um, I actually will say that it, it takes the full year. And once we do the annual report, then you start to go, oh, wow, I didn't realize this. I didn't see this was happening. So 
Um, you I need some time. You need some time to build the trends uh, so you can at least understand, you know, the weather patterns and, and things like that. You know, Absolutely. so so Josh, when you when you come into play here with these types of uh, supporting projects, I mean, you know, how long does the the buyers you know systems run? I mean, is is it twenty four seven? Is it timed uh, during you know certain times of the day when people are you know going to be more apt sure. to to smell the, the, the odors like, you know, nine to five and then, you know, kind of tail it off toward the evening or what, what do you do? Yeah, Sean, we see a little bit of everything. Uh, we have some clients that run the vapor unit around the clock, uh, especially with composting facilities where they're not, they may be open uh, to ambient air all the time. Um, a common approach that we see in solid waste is to really leverage the intelligence systems division of buyer scientific. And, and that is our, uh, our SCADA. Uh, platform. And so that empowers us to not only monitor the equipment in real time, but also to provide real time controls. Part of that offering also involves uh, or allows, empowers the client to, to use production scheduling. So Sean, almost, I would say probably 80 to 85% of our clients say we want the unit to come on at four in the morning. We want it to shut off at 6 PM at night and we program it as such. And the unit effectively turns itself on and off we can regulate um, uh, actually delivery rates. Um, and because the unit is actually able to store over 60 gallons of neutralizer at any given time, these units run for over two weeks without any interaction uh, from the solid waste operator. And that's exactly what we plan for. We, we, we wanna liberate manpower. We don't, we don't wanna demand it. We know that these facilities uh, have enough to do than babysit another piece of equipment. So a bit of a long-winded answer, but. But that production scheduling capability with our uh, IoT and, and SCADA capabilities or, or platform, excuse me, is extremely beneficial and allows the client to kind of set the unit and let it do what it needs to do. Well, so does your system also, uh, Josh, work off of, you know, wind, wind information? Do you set up uh, devices as well to trigger the your system? I mean, you've got... Andres' you know, system that's kind of showing you the trends and stuff, but do you have sure. your own system where... Hey, the winds are high right now. It's going off because, you know, yeah. it's telling it to go off. I mean, to, you know, I don't know. Yeah, no, Sean, I understand. So we really, we rely on the meteorological data that we get from the EnviroSuite system most okay. often. Um, if right. we do deploy a system and the environmental monitoring is not a package, we, we can't offer meteorological data collection. You know, Sean, the challenge of trying to manipulate the operation of the unit with wind is uh, it's constantly changing. And so you get into a situation where the unit's coming on and turning off and, and so what we've said is, uh, you know, it's, it's really difficult to put the genie back in the bottle. And so in most all applications, uh, we'll run that machine throughout the, the time that that emission is, is present. So if that work face is, is covered in the evening, then, you know, the client can dial the machine down. But if that emission source is ongoing, we'll just still allow it to run. Um, you know, that odor is going to be carried wherever the wind takes it. And because we're a vapor, and, and we're a very, very, very tiny droplet that stays airborne all the time, it allows us to move with those odor patterns and increase that probability of contact. And so yeah. staying airborne is a, a critical uh, benefit to our vapor phase technology. Well, that's good. So, um, so if you're somebody who's got an odor problem or an air quality problem, or you know, you're, you know, you're wanting to know what's happening, I mean, or noise, vibration issue, EnviroSuite sounds like the great a great monitoring uh you know platform to help you understand what your problems are where they're coming from. Sounds like we got 
Buyer Scientific is like a fantastic uh, mitigation odor mitigation system that can really address these these problematic odors for communities and and uh, these sources. And uh, guys, I really thank you guys for coming on the show today. This has been a great discussion for the listeners. How do they get a hold of you if they want more information about Buyer Scientific and EnviroSuite? Yeah, so for Buyer Scientific, you can find us on LinkedIn or simply Googling Buyer Scientific. Our website will come right up. There's plenty of information there. And of course, we're um, ready and willing to look at any applications and, and have a, you know, a discussion to better understand the problem set to see how we might be able to help. Yep. And then, uh, likewise for EnviroSuite, uh, EnviroSuite.com, our website. It's probably the best place to look at uh, some finders. And, um, and yeah, we're, we're very much really excited about continuing developing some of these. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it's about creating that situational awareness so that operations can truly act on it. So that's the key aspect on it. That's great, guys. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, I'll make sure that your contact information is on my website. Uh, and all the listeners can get a hold of you anytime. And, uh, you know, best of luck in the future here with this new, these new products and your monitoring systems. And look forward to talking with you in the future. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. For Sean, thanks again. Thank you. I want to thank our guests, Andres Keanu and Josh Rumbush for coming onto the show today. If you want to learn more about their products and you, the services they offer, please check out their website at www.envirosuite.com or www.buyers-scientific.com. We'll also put a link to their contact information and their web pages on my website. To listen to future environmental transformation podcasts, you can check us out on all the major podcast networks or from my website at www.seankgrady.com. And remember, don't forget to follow us and please write a review about this episode. It helps us increase our placement on all the podcast networks. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Well, thanks for listening. And until next time, make a positive impact in someone's life today. Mm -hmm.